Greetings, everyone, and welcome to Under the Fig Tree. I am Troy. And I'm Bruce. And we are so grateful today to have our good friend and newly uh, accredited Dr. John Smith with us today. And John has graciously joined us, taken of his time, and uh, he, he completed an incredible thesis for his doctoral project. And we read through it. We really wanted to bring him on the show and highlight a lot of the ideas that he talked about in his uh, theses and wanted to give him an opportunity to share what needs to be shared with the world. This does not need to be local. It needs to be shared with everyone because now we're starting to talk about the church looking like the church, the kingdom uh, looking like the kingdom. And now we're crossing the different lines of, of, of culture and ethnicity and John has done a wonderful job in talking about how to integrate that into our local churches. So, John, we thank you for uh, for being with us today. Absolutely, gentlemen. I'm excited to be here with you uh, among friends and uh, have a great conversation. It's going to be awesome. So congratulations, first of all, on Congrats, completing big your doctoral uh, uh, degree. And that's that's a awesome piece of work. And really, that thesis is a piece of art, honestly. So what caused you to want to write this? You know, that's a great question to jump off with, Troy. And really, this has been a journey that is not, it didn't just come to fruition in a doctoral program. This has been a lifelong thing for me, wrestling with what is God's vision for the church? And is the vision a segregated vision or is it a united vision? And so, man, down to... Uh, my upbringing and pastors and mentors in my life uh, who've spoken into my life, broadened my perspective, uh, different steps of schooling along the way, uh, really began to open my eyes to uh, this multi-ethnic mission of God. And then when I went into the doctoral program, I kind of snuck in for a leadership degree, and my doctoral mentors spun it and really focused on leadership in a multi-ethnic context. Wow. And so that really just converged this lifelong journey into a three-year boot camp okay. of thinking and praying and reading and talking and being exposed to new perspectives and searching the scriptures. And out of that was birthed this, this thesis, Developing Culturally Intelligent Leaders for the Multi-Ethnic Church. That's awesome. They, because that, and I, I, I love the way you just ended that because you answered the question I was going to ask. Go ahead and tell the listeners exactly what it's called. So would you give that, that title one more time? Absolutely. Developing Culturally Intelligent Leaders for the Multi-Ethnic Church. Now, if nothing else catches your attention, <laughs> the title has to catch your it attention. Has to. If, you are, if you care about you know, what God cares about at all, just the title caught me. Yeah. And then once I started digging into it, I'm like, oh, man, oh, this, this is this this is so needed. So I think what I'd like to do, Troy, is let's just talk for a minute. Just talk for a little bit and give us your even your process of what that looked like to you. What did it look like at the beginning? Did you get a different view of it as you were putting this together? And is your conclusion the same now than it was, you know, is it different than it was at the beginning? Sure. You know, as I um, 
as I, I talked to my wife through this process extensively, and I told her one of the one of the hard things about this thesis project is I feel like I'm designing it as I'm building it. Okay. And so having to rebuild it as we go, and really not knowing what it, it was going to look like at the end, it really was a step of faith to kind of just get started. And so one of the things that, it, well, it really breaks down to three major sections as far as the thesis there was a biblical theological overview of the teachings of Scripture regarding the multi-ethnic church. I wanted to start there so that uh, we get real clear up front that this is not a sociological project. Right. It's not necessarily about history. Okay. It's not even fully about driven by culture, so to speak. It's driven by Scripture. Right. Okay. And that was my heart. And that was one of the things I wanted to, to set out to demonstrate is that the Bible teaches a multi-ethnic vision of God. Okay. And so we see that fairly easily, I think, in the New Testament. Okay. But then really beginning to dig into the Old Testament foundations of that, going yeah. all the way back to Adam and Abraham and uh, all that good stuff and, and really tracing all the way through the Scripture and what I found at the end of that, Bruce, was that the Bible is one story. Okay. That's it's right. one story that's, that's, with that's smaller right. stories. Yeah. And, and what I teach, anytime I have a discipleship or, or educational classes, I teach that the Bible is one story. The better we understand the larger story, yeah. the better we'll understand the smaller stories right. that are going on within it. Yeah. And it's a cycle. And, and, and it just sharpens us. Then the better we understand the smaller stories, it feeds into our understanding of that mission of God sure. that goes from Genesis to Revelation. So that was a, a journey, and, and I just, I'm writing, and I, I sh, you know, started out to, to write maybe 30 pages okay. on, on the, this, <laughs> this vision of the multi church. You guys have read yeah. it. I think that chapter ended up being 101, 102 pages. Yeah. 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 And so there's a lot going on and I, I just couldn't stop. It's there and, and wanted to, to really demonstrate that God has a multi-ethnic vision. The second part of the thesis really gets into this idea of what is culture okay, and what is cultural intelligence and how yeah. that might could help the church. Yeah. And, I'm, and really, I'm looking, I'm looking at, I'm looking at it on my screen and I highlighted culturally intelligent leadership. Yeah, that just jumps <laughs> off the page at me, you know. So, yeah, talk about that, man. Yeah, so cultural intelligence is essentially a a non academic uh, form of intelligence. So okay. we're familiar with IQ. That's kind of the the the, the famous one or the well known form of intelligence. Uh, but there began to stir in academia that there's this idea that there are other intelligences okay. outside okay. of classroom intelligence. Okay. And so there is social intelligence, the ability to interact well with others. There's emotional intelligence, right. you know, the, the ability to understand how what we're doing and saying is impacting other people's emotions and how that can impact our relationships or their performance. And so in addition to those, there's this idea of cultural intelligence. Okay. And what that is, it's, it's, it's a model for us to understand a person's ability to function well in cross-cultural situations. Uh, we could call it cross-cultural competence. But the cultural intelligence model is, is a specific model set forth by uh, a gentleman named David Livermore with the Cultural Intelligence Center. 
who's done a ton of research worldwide to show that this idea of cultural cross-cultural competence or cultural intelligence can be tested. Okay. It can be evaluated in an individual. It can be grown in an individual. And a person who has relatively low cultural intelligence can grow to the point that they function better in cross-cultural situations. And so the idea then is that uh, diversity is great, Mm-hmm. And yes. it is absolutely part of the multi-ethnic vision. Yes. But learning how to function well mm-hmm. within that diversity right. is really what takes the church to the next level. So I'm, I'm, what I'm hearing, John, is especially when it comes to the cross-cultural competence, I'm trying to say that without spitting all over myself. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but, but looking at that is, is looking at my experiences, your experiences, uh, and whoever's experiences putting everything together and then trying to make the mess the best way we can while keeping the mission of the kingdom at the forefront. Is that about the size of it? Absolutely. And, and the idea, and just to echo you, Troy, is, is that we all have a valuable perspective to give and we can learn. I can learn something about God from, from you that I may not have learned on my own or in right. my own cultural bubble. And, and so there's that idea that, uh, cultures bring unique flavors to our understanding of God. Yeah. And then with that, of course, it needs to be said that all cultures need to be redeemed. Yeah. And True. so whatever culture we bring to the table, there are things that have to be evaluated against Scripture. Right. And so some things have to be thrown out. Right. Absolutely. And some things can be brought in sure. to really flavor our understanding of God. And so it's not the idea of multiculturalism, which is where everything just comes together. We accept it all. Yeah. No, we allow scripture and the Holy spirit to evaluate us all and what we can bring to the table and what has to be thrown away. And so that's one of the reasons why the title is multi-ethnic and not multicultural. Right. Right. Okay. God's kingdom is a multi-ethnic kingdom. It brings diverse individuals together, but really at the end of the day, it boils down to one kingdom culture yeah. that we're trying to that's achieve right. exactly. as taught by Jesus. Exactly. Boy, that's really good. Love one it. kingdom culture. Love it. So at the end of the day, it's about the kingdom, the kingdom's culture. That's right. The king's culture. That's real interesting, man, because, and I love, I love that the idea that, okay, no, it's not just bring everything. And, you know, that means, okay, everybody's included and everybody brings all their stuff, you know. I mean, we wouldn't do that with a with an orchestra. There would still be order. Mm-hmm. There would still be syncopation, per se. With an orchestra, you wouldn't just have everybody bring a bunch of instruments and just start playing their own thing. And we say, hey, we're diverse, right? Sure. We wouldn't do that. So, so that's a great point that you make. At the beginning of your thesis, you talk a little bit about the what you notice the changes with the population the demographics would you talk a little bit about that and how that plays into what's happening in the church the demographics in the united states and how that plays into the american church absolutely so we we're essentially seeing over the last 20 years and maybe longer uh three major shifts we're seeing a demographic shift Mm -hmm. in that white birth rates are going down okay and ethnic birth birth rates are going up 
Yeah. Uh, so meeting interesting. Non-white minorities. And so, you know, there's a lot of people who who kind of feel that tension mm-hmm. that that the white majority is kind of shrinking and there's uh, there's, you know, attempts to blame immigration or other things. The right. truth is it's birth rates. Right. Yeah. Uh, ethnic minorities are having more children than white people are on average. Okay. So that is a major demographic shift. The second is generational. The baby boomer generation is getting older. Mm-hmm. And so we're seeing this, this young, younger generation step into uh, leadership and step into the fullness kind of of their season. Yeah. And, and that's creating shifts okay. uh, in, in our culture. And then the, the third is geographic. Okay. And so um, there was in our history a great migration where, where African-Americans moved out of the South into the cities of the North. Yes. And what we've seen is that starting to reverse. Yeah. And so there's this geographic shift where African-Americans and other ethnic minorities are coming out of the cities into the suburbs, into more affluent living. And so what that brings is we're now being confronted with this uh with these different shifts that are going on and and Mm -hmm. things don't exactly seem normal okay and so all three of these levels demographic shifts generational shifts geographic shifts they all come with different cultural dynamics going on okay and so when we speak of cultural intelligence we're not just talking about ethnic culture right but there's generational culture yeah and then there's also organizational culture there's occupational culture. Wow. You know, things you pick up on the military uh, that, man, you step into the military, you better do it the way the military yeah. wants to do. <laughs> right. There's an occupational culture. Right. Right. There's church cultures. There, there's cultures for different areas of business. Yeah. And so part of being culturally intelligent is learning to see culture and think culturally. And so as we bring all these diverse things into play into a church mm-hmm. or a ministry, We've got all these different dynamics going on, and a culturally intelligent leader is somebody who is trying to be intentional to see what's going on, because these dynamics often cause conflict. Yeah. Yeah. And so we're trying to get to the root cause of that conflict and either heal it or mitigate it or cut it off so that we can really walk together as one. Yeah, it seems um, a lot of times, John, that when we talk about culture, we typically just talk about, you know, skin color or yeah. nationalities and stuff. So I love how you bring in the other different dynamics of culture because occupational culture and right. emotional culture and all this kind of stuff, it all plays a part. And I, I would think, and just looking at the, the, the thesis, I would think that it's of the, the most importance for the leaders to, like you said, take the good. You know, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, right? right? But take right. the good part. What works and how does it work? Uh, who brings what to the table and how can we use that to basically mobilize what should be an army? You know, that local church, what, what should be an army? How can yes. we use this to mobilize this army so that we can advance the kingdom in whatever area that we are? So I'm glad you brought up the the whole idea of the, the different types of culture, because most of the time that's, that's often overlooked. The, the, and mo- many times it's often, often overlooked. And I, I want to throw this in there as well, because we do have listeners that are not in the United States. But what we're talking about, I think anyone listening at wherever they are in the world can identify because those dynamics still exist 
in the church at large. Yeah. It's not just what's happening in the United States, even though this is the subject we're using U- U.S. as the subject matter or, or what have you. It's, it's, it's so interesting because, and I'm going to jump back to the idea of it's not you, it's not me, it's not Troy, it's not a church leader per se yeah. that's deciding what stays and what goes as far as what comes in, what doesn't come in. It's the word of God. I and love that point. It's the word of God. It's got to be the standard. Well, it has to be the standard. Yeah. And and if I may be just very straight and to the point, you know, let's let's just have a real conversation. Even you know, I'm sitting here on the radio. I'm a I'm considered a African American by some. I'm considered a Black American by some. I have brown skin. Okay, in America, I guess yeah. I'm a Black American by definition. But what's interesting to me, guys, is. As I'm listening to you talk, I'm thinking about some of my own personal experiences. And there's a term that I believe that God gave me some years ago, and the term is gatekeeper. And that there are gatekeepers, and I believe he said this to me, that there are, he has gatekeepers that won't open the gate and sort of like, the scripture that says when Jesus said to the Pharisees and those, he said, you stand at the gate, you won't go in and you won't let any, you, but you won't let anyone else go in. That's right. And so this was intriguing to me because as I began to read it, I heard some terms like hosts, cultural hosts, majority hosts. Mm-hmm. Right. And immediately I thought gatekeepers, gatekeepers it, yeah. same thing. Yeah. It's the gatekeepers. Right. And so what I'm seeing John is, but what I have seen is people who are some of the nicest people in the world. They're the gatekeepers of particular local ministries. They're some of the sweetest people in the world. But somewhere there seems to be a disconnect when it comes to, and, and it seems like they really want you to be there, but there seems to be a disconnect in how to, how to beckon or how to draw, right, how to cause yeah. people who don't look like them yeah. to want to be in the presence of the Lord with them. Right. Does that make sense? And, and so, and I've, I've had, you know, my wife and I have had some experiences at, like that. And for a long time, I'm like, God, I don't want to, I don't understand this because they're wonderful people. Yeah. They're great people, but my role would be limited as to what I really could do in particular churches, and I did not understand it. And so I'm, I'm, once again, I'm grateful for us being able to have this conversation because I think it's going to help a lot of people, you know, to be able to say, hey, okay, number one, don't hate the gatekeepers. Mm-hmm. Let's talk it out, open it up, and let's really look at it and come to some intelligent conclusions about how we might be able to move forward. Because I really believe from a, from a very spiritual perspective, I really believe that God is, is doing something so unique within the body of Christ and it requires courage. Uh, From a prophetic standpoint, we like to prophesy. I kind of hang out with the prophets and we like to prophesy about, you know, the new thing. God is doing a new thing, right? That's a, that's a catchphrase among the prophets, right? But, but the Lord told me one day, he said, 
if it's he said, listen, if if you have if you've done it before, if you've seen it before, if you've experienced it before, if you've said it before, it's not the new thing. Yeah. And so I think that part of what we're doing here is revealing the new thing. What does it look like to be a true kingdom citizen? Does color even play into it at all? Does culture play into it at all? What does it actually look like, you know? Yeah, John, I'm going to tell you, I, I've, I've been looking forward to this, to be honest with you. I'm, I catch a lot of flack when we start to talk about what people consider culture when it comes to the church. Because I'm quick to tell people there is no such thing as a black church, white church. There's no such thing as that. It's just something we came up with. For some reason, we stick to it, you know, and I think part of it, of what Bruce said, lends itself to that is those gatekeepers I believe in your in your thesis, you said the hosts. Uh, so talk a little bit about the host and their role in, in all of this in, from your standpoint. Sure. And what I'm thinking is, as you guys are talking and you're talking about gatekeepers, is those are leaders yeah. in the local right. church or in ministries right. that get to call the shots and determine who's welcome and who's not. Right. And, and what happens is, I talk about this idea that, that's really I, I got from uh, Dr. Soong Chan Ra, from Fuller Seminary, uh, he talks about the idea of cultural captivity. Okay. Mm-hmm. And that, I read that a ministry or an organization can become captive to the majority culture. And, and what, we, what that means is that there may be diversity in the room, but there's not diverse perspective around the leadership table right. in the back room. Right, 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 right. Okay, and so who's calling the shots? Who's making the decisions? What perspectives are going into why we do the things that we do? And and one of the, the things that feeds into cultural captivity is this idea of color blindness. That, right. hey, we're all the same. God doesn't see color. <laughs> um, we have the same experience. And to whether that's good intentions or not, what happens there is is. What the unspoken result of that is, we can all get along as long as you all act like us. Right. And you fit into this culture that we already have in our church. Right. We want you to come and worship with us as we worship, lead with us as we lead. Right. And that's kind of the idea of cultural captivity. Got it. And so that's why we have churches with diverse congregations, but not diverse pastoral staffs. Got it. Or diverse congregations, but not diverse eldership. Yes. Yeah. Level or deacons or trustees. Yes. And so we welcome the diversity in the room. Yeah. But we don't welcome it all the time at the leadership table. At the, at the leadership table. And so developing cultural intelligence involves an appreciation for what's in the room. We're not going to whitewash everything and say, hey, we're all the same. We are all the same as the human race, Correct. but we do have different values and perspectives and understandings of the way we see the world. And so rather than say, hey, we are glad that you're here. Come worship with us and be quiet. Right. Mm-hmm. A culturally intelligent situation is where we say, you know what? We recognize there's difference and we want to build a relationship with you yeah. so yeah. that we can dialogue and learn how to incorporate uh, different values and different perspectives into the ministry. Of course, with all of that being governed by the spirit and by right. the word of God. Yeah, that's good. And so... Man, we need the gatekeepers who will kind of break the status quo. Yeah. And we yeah. need the gatekeepers who will break the cultural captivity. Sure. And we need the gatekeepers who can incorporate 
diverse mindsets and perspectives. Uh, again, not talking about multiculturalism, not talking right. about anything right. goes, right. but but also those who don't have a my way or the highway yeah. mentality. Right. That's good. No, that that's that's great, man. I mean, the the idea because you you guys know as well as I do that it, it's the old saying is the most segregated place, yeah, in the world, or the most segregated day is is Sunday, or Sunday mornings, right? Sunday mornings, right? And once again, I'm looking at that and I'm saying, God, why is that? You know what what's what's going on with that? And once again, and this is not to this is not to demean anyone. I certainly won't call any names, but it's just my experiences. You know, we've been in my wife and I've been in this thing for a little while, and um, you know, and we've kind of made our rounds around the church. You know, and it's just so interesting, man, because one of the things that once again that I that I see, and that I'm still seeing some places is that, as you said, John, they're glad you're there. You just don't have any influence. There's no real input. And it's interesting because I know of leaders right now, and this is very interesting because I'm not talking specifically about white leaders. I'm talking about because when you mention about white church, black church, right? Correct. See, this, this is the same on both sides mm-hmm. because you have what might be considered an all-black church and the pastor's wondering why don't white people come and you have an all white church and maybe somewhere in their heart there, they want it to be diverse. They may be thinking diverse, yeah. you know, instead of kingdom culture. Right. Yeah. But, but in their hearts, they're wondering why isn't, you know, why, why won't they come? The one or two that come don't stay. Yeah. And I've seen that on both sides and it's very interesting, but the idea that the segregation I really believe is, you know, has a lot to do with the gatekeepers, mm-hmm. has a lot to do with being able to say, hey, you come, come, come sit at the table. E- even, even where females are concerned. Sure. Even where females are concerned. Right. You know, one of the, the, one of the things that the Lord said to us in, at the end of 2019, he said, I'm if between 2020 and 2030, I'm going to open the mouths of women my daughters, and I'm going to give them a place at the table. So when you mentioned table, that sparked me because yeah. I know that I heard from the Lord, and he said between the decade between 2020 and 2030, I'm going to make room at the table yeah. for, for my women, for my daughters, because some of the gatekeepers won't stand up and give them a place. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it sounds like a kind of a rough word, right? I'm going to remove some. I'm going to make them stand up. Yeah. And do the gentleman, gentlemanly thing, right? right? And allow some of my daughters to come and have a seat. And he's talking about government. Same thing you was talking about. He's talking about government, man. You know, so this is this is a this is a great great conversation to have, man. Well, you know, I've seen uh, over time, and I've heard leaders make excuses, you know, because of what they call culture. Well, we have a certain type of sound, or we have a certain style of worship or and you know it's not conducive for everybody and and they i'm just gonna be honest because that's what we do on the podcast just gonna be open they they get lazy Mm -hmm. and instead of seeking god and finding the strategy to to open the doors to invite other cultures other ethnicities in they just sit back and say you know what it is what it is other flavors 
Correct. Other flavors. I mean, you're eating you're eating the same the same bread, <laughs> you know, the <laughs> same way, you know. And there's all kinds of wonderful tasting bread. There's cornbread, and there's non bread, and there's you know, there's all these different you know. But you're used to that one thing. My next question for you, John, is how much do you think fear plays into that? Well, I think a, a fear of a loss of power, okay, plays into that tremendously. I think you got a great point. We a lot of our country, a lot of our churches, a lot of our society operates on who has power. Right. And so the idea, and you said it, Bruce, a minute ago, sometimes to make room at the table, some people have to get up and, and step aside. Right. And, and this is where I want to jump back into something and, and play off what Troy said, because multi-ethnic ministry is not the most practical way to grow your church really quick. Okay. Right. Okay. Studies show if you want to grow a church really quick, you Mm -hmm. go get the same people from the same demographic in the same neighborhood and the same socioeconomic status. Right. And you just plug away at that group. Yeah. And like-minded individuals flock and it's easy and it's comfortable and you have these suburban churches to blow up. Yeah. And so uh, the level of intention that is needed is not driven uh, by practicality. It's driven by theology. Mm-hmm. Mm. This is why scripture matters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm not doing this because it's a get rich quick scheme. Right. We're doing this because it's what God said to do. Yeah. Yeah. We're doing this because this is the, the vision of acts yeah. and what Paul talks about in Romans and Ephesians and Galatians and what we see all the way at the throne of God in revelation chapter seven verse nine that there is a people from every uh, nation tribe people and language gathered around the throne so we do this to honor god yeah yeah we don't do it because of our preference and we don't do it because of that this is the best method to grow a church really quick so i just wanted to circle back on that and then yes bruce i think fear runs into that in a really big way yeah and i think uh not just fear of power, but there is fear of the other. Yeah. I think this is why we, we run into some of the racial clashes that we do is fear. It's just fear. Sometimes yeah. it's irrational fear. Right. That I, I'm just scared of something that's different, and so I react in an unhealthy way uh, based on stereotype or stories I've been told. and so Or, or, uh, or I lock it out. Sure. I just completely lock it out. Sure. Yeah. You know, we, we just don't, we, we just don't. We're not going to deal with it. We're just not going to deal with it. Yeah. Sure. And so there's, there's a, there is a fear, I believe, but, but again, this is where theology and faith have mm-hmm. to really step into play and, and fuel our philosophy of ministry. Yeah. yeah. So for our listeners, we got Dr. John Smith here and he, he has written a very valuable Thesis on uh, developing cultural intelligent leaders for the multi-ethnic church. John, I, I love the fact, you know me, you know, I love God's word. And I love the fact that everything that you have written is based uh, on God's view of people, God's view of the mission that he laid in front of his people and how he wants us to cohabitate and work together. So with that, Let's go back to Genesis, man, because mm-hmm. you, you laid out 
in in I just you know me I, when you start getting to the word part of it I I love <laughs> it so you laid out the great case it's a, one of the things I love this is not in Genesis I believe it's in Acts it, it tells us from one blood came all nations yeah right so but you took the time to walk us all the way back through. Uh, from Genesis. So let's talk about that for a little bit. Uh, Absolutely. Just give us a little rundown. I'll do it and I'll try not to get my preach on. That's <laughs> <laughs> okay if you do. And you know, guys, <laughs> this is really what it comes down to. You know, driving over here this evening, uh, I was praying and, and you know how you think to yourself, why am I doing this? And I felt the Lord speak to me and say, do you really believe that's what scripture teaches? This multi-ethnic vision. And I said, yes, Lord, I do. Yeah. I said, okay, that's why you're doing it. Go do it. Wow. Wow. <laughs> I mean, there is no other reason. <laughs> yeah, man. There is no other reason. Yeah. So um, Genesis chapter 1, uh, God uh, made Adam out of the, the dust of the earth. He breathed into his nostrils. It was a very unique thing. He mm. takes uh, the, the rib out of his side. We're talking about Genesis 1 through 3 yeah. and, and creates Eve. And, and she's named Eve because... She is the mother of all the living. Yeah. Okay, so what yes. is God saying in these first three chapters? That Adam and Eve are the parents of all humanity. Of all humanity. Right? That's right. That's a very simple statement. It's clear, and yet we forget it. We act like there's different uh, lineages going right. on. The bottom line is all humans go back to that creation narrative. Yes. God made Adam and Eve, and and that's where everyone came from. Yes. And that's a key point of Scripture that we have to emphasize. Uh, another key point in Genesis is that it said that God, uh, it, allow me to paraphrase just for sure. time. We're sure. not going to flip through the Scripture. Uh, you guys jump in however you want. But that God made man, male and female, in his image. Right. Meaning that they are carrying Humanity is carrying some aspect of God that makes them unique in all creation. Mm -hmm. After the fall, that image is marred to some degree because yep. of sin. Yep. But we have these clues in Scripture that that image is not gone. Right. So when God uh, brings Noah, I'm skipping ahead, when God brings Noah off the boat, he, he blesses Noah again, tells him to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and then there's this moment where he talks about you can kill and eat animals, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but any animal that kills a man or a woman has to be put to death. Mm -hmm. Or any man or woman that kills a man or woman has to be put to death. Right. Why? Because I made them in my image. That's right. Right. So even after the fall, right. we have this reestablishment, this recommitment to this idea that there is an image of God. Mm-hmm. We see it not just in the Old Testament, but over into the New Testament in James. James is rebuking some people. He says, you know what? You can't curse your fellow man. Why? Because he's made in, in, the image, image, in, in his image of God. Yeah. That's right. That's and good. so right there in the first three chapters, we have these two truths. Number one, that God made Adam and Eve as the parents of all humanity. Mm -hmm. So we have a common descent. We have a common lineage. There is one human race right and then the, we're all made in god's image yes and even though to a degree that's been marred by the fall it is not gone correct and therefore we're all worthy of respect we're all worthy of love we're all god's children and there is no there should be no place for ethnic superiority 
or supremacy or, or anything like that. Right. And so with that, we should also note that Adam, Eve, Noah, they're, they're really never given a nationality right. in, in Scripture. They're right. not given a culture. Right. They're not Hebrews. Right. No. They're not Israelites. That's right. No. They're just humans. Right. They're just Adam, they're, Eve. <laughs> yeah, that's right. They're Adam, they're Eve, they're Noah, and we descended from all of them. Right. right. And so there's this, there's this idea that we really need to drill down on, that there is a common human lineage that supersedes culture. Yeah. Now, from that, after the fall, culture began to develop. Um, and I think it was developing before Babel, I believe, in Genesis chapter 4, you, you get these mentioned that, hey, this group of people was really good at uh, playing instruments and singing. Right. Right. And this group of people was really good at making uh, things out of metal and, yes. and doing that. And this group could do carpentry. Well, what is that? that? That's little divisions of culture beginning to form after, in the humans, after the fall, people began to descend from Adam. And then, of course, in Genesis chapter 10, it kind of details out all the different nations that come from Adam. And we really focus on the diversity there. Right. And we should. Hey, all the nations came from Adam. That's right. But the flip side of that is all the nations came from Adam. Right. Mm -hmm. A singular source. A singular source. And so there's a singular source for all the nations. We have the Tower of Babel incident in Genesis chapter 11 in which God changes the languages and, and disperses the peoples around uh, the world, which really kind of puts the development of culture into overdrive because yeah. now we have separation and, and languages beginning to, to take place. But it, it's in that context, after we look at the common ancestry of all the nations in yeah. Genesis 10, and the uh, changing of the languages in Genesis 11, mm -hmm. the very next chapter is Genesis 12, when God calls Abraham. That's right. God calls Abraham and says, look, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you into a nation. Uh, you know, you're going to grow. You're going to be like, your, your, your offspring is going to be like the sand of the sea, the stars of the heaven. It's a great promise. What does he say in verse 3? He says, I'm going to bless you so that you will be a blessing. Right. And all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. That's right. right. So it's right after God detailed in Genesis 10 and Genesis 11, all these various nations mm -hmm. that have a common ancestry, mm -hmm. that God then promises Abraham that I'm going to bless those nations yes. through you. Wow. And so that, to me, becomes the backbone for the rest of Scripture. Yeah. Okay. The rest of the story is is God playing out that promise. Because when he promises that Abraham will be a blessing, by extension, he's promising that Israel will be a blessing. Yes. Right. And when he promises that Israel will be a blessing, by extension, that's Jesus. Right. That's right. And how do we come into this uh, family through Jesus? We believe in his name. Right. And through faith, we're adopted into the family of God. We're made children of Abraham. And we're all one people together. Right. And so while God, yes, picks out a particular people in Israel, yep. the, the particular picking out of one nation was always for the purpose of blessing all the nations. All the yes. nations. That's right. And we can't man, lose such that. Such a great point. Mm -hmm. Such a great point, man. And so the rest of the Old Testament is the development of that one nation to bless all the nations. That's right. Wow. And so that, that's really what I saw and tried to bring out in 
the Old Testament portion is that God is really doing one thing through Abraham and that promise for the rest of Scripture. Yeah. I mean, wow. who does Paul go to to explain our salvation? In Romans chapter, I don't know, 4, 5, 6, he goes to Abraham yeah. and says, what did Abraham not believe and it was counted righteousness? righteousness. Right. Was that not before circumcision and yeah. the law? Right. Was he even an Israelite yet right. at that point? Right. No, he no. wasn't. So uh, Paul builds this case that Abraham is the model of our faith, not Moses. Right. Yeah. Why? Because of faith, not works. Yeah. That's right. Faith, not works. And so that plays right into Paul's teaching of justification by faith and not justification by works as he builds his case throughout the rest of the New Testament, especially mm. in Galatians and then in Ephesians, that we're not... Um, or even in Romans, he says, a Jew is not a Jew who is one inwardly. Excuse me, outwardly. Outward, I misspoke. Outwardly. outwardly. I misspoke. But a Jew is one who is one inwardly. Right. Who's been circumcised in the heart, who has come by faith. Yeah. And so it's a thread that goes all through the scripture that uh, this covenant given to Abraham is a promise to bless all the nations, and it's off that promise that God's covenant to David builds, and it's out of that covenant to David that Jesus comes. What does Matthew say? I believe it's in Matthew chapter one. He, he says, "You know, Jesus was the son of Abraham, the son of David, the son of Abraham." Right. Well, what is he doing? He's connecting this New Testament figure right. all the all way back the way to back. Genesis chapter twelve, yeah. one through eleven. Or one through three. And so, you know, that's really what, what I tried to establish there is that all the way in Genesis, the foundations of the gospel are being, are being laid. Which is awesome because um, you're going to see culture all through the, the Old Testament, all through the Bible, really. But I think sometimes people will take uh, a certain picture because of a, uh, a lack of understanding, mm-hmm. uh, sometimes take it out of context and say, well, look, these, these ethnic people are different. They're, you know, God looks at them a certain way and he even tells them don't marry into, you know, these other nations. Sure. And they'll use that to say, Hey, we're not supposed to intermingle. And I'm like, it it wasn't about that. It was really honestly, and it was so good about this because we're talking about culture. It wasn't anything about their ethnicity. It was more about their culture, the things that they were practicing, the the things they were practicing. if If you draw into them and you begin to intermingle with them, God already knew you're going to bring their practices. Yeah. You know, especially more, more specifically, you're going to bring, they're going to bring their gods. Exactly. Yes. And that, that was the problem. And that's a and, problem for God. <laughs> and most people think is, is the other way around. Uh, I think John, you and I had coffee, you know, a while back and we started talking about this a little bit. We just got to look at Moses and his wife. Yeah. You know, look at little things like that. Sure. And God didn't frown at that. No, no. I you can know? think of three in, interethnic marriages in, in the old Testament specifically. You have Moses marrying a Cushite woman, mm-hmm. which would have been a black African. Right. Yep. Then you have uh, Rahab, a Canaanite, uh-huh. marrying into the tribes of Israel after she helped deliver Israel. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then you have Ruth mm-hmm. marrying Boaz, a Moabite woman coming in to the, yep. to the line of Jesus. Sure. And what we see in, in those last two cases specifically, and I, I wholeheartedly agree with what you all said, that, that, that the issue is not inter-ethnic 
marriage. No. It's interreligious marriage. Correct. Right. It's what Paul said, do not be unequally, unequally yoked. yoked. Right. Yes, sir. You can be unequally yoked with someone from your own ethnicity. That's exactly Absolutely. Right. It's about faith. Yep. It's not about color or even culture or ethnicity. And yep. so um, what we see is when Rahab helped the spies, she was acting in faith. Yes. Correct. She said, I believe in your God. Yes. And I believe that what he did in Egypt, yes. he is going to do throughout the rest of this land. Therefore, I'm going to join you. Yes. That's right. a conversion. That's a conversion. Absolutely. All day. Okay, well, what about Ruth? Naomi told Ruth, stay. Yeah. And she said, no, no, no. Where you go, I go. That's your home will be my home. Your God will, will be, be my God. God. There was a conversion That's taking right. place. Sure. And so before these, while these were inter-ethnic marriages, they weren't necessarily inter-religious right. marriages. Right. And I think that's what God was, was guarding against Absolutely. in those uh, prohibitions against marrying the other people. Right. Uh, in fact, there's, there's another text in Deuteronomy, and I don't have it in front of me, but where he does make allowances for if you marry other, um, other ethnicities. And it's right. all about their religion, yes. their faith, yeah. their willingness to convert to worshiping God. Yeah, because he's still the God who says, I'll have no other gods before me. Absolutely. So he's not going to set you up to be pulled away from him. So yeah, yeah. I, lo I love going back to Adam. Why you, when you were talking about Adam and Eve, what I was seeing was, I was see it was almost like seeing two lines that are meandering through history. Adam, the red man, right? Adam and Eve, one source. But God chose to call him Adam. Mm-hmm. The red man. Yeah. And I'm thinking blood. The connection is the, the physical connection being blood. Yeah. But then Abraham comes along and now the connection is faith. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? So he's going to bless all the nations, but it's going to be because of faith, you know, because of Abraham's faith. Right. So all of us who would come along later are connecting into, we've been connected to Adam because of blood, yep. right? But now we're connected to Jesus because of the faith of Abraham. And that, yep. that's, that's, that's awesome to me. Which is, I mean, I was just teaching about Abraham, what, last week, week before, or something like that. And just sharing, you know, the things that Abraham believed. It wasn't works. It wasn't any of that stuff. You, you mentioned it in Romans. It says it in James. It yeah. says it in a couple other places. Abraham believed. He mm -hmm. believed. He believed. So it was his faith that caused him to be righteous. And then we translate that to us on this side of the cross. What causes us to be righteous? It's the faith that it we have. It's the faith that we have. So right. it's, it's not by works or anything like that. It's, just, it's always been faith. And I believe because Scripture tells us without faith, it's impossible to please God. I believe that's what God's been trying to show us. And it's, it's woven throughout the Old Testament. It's woven throughout the New Testament. Faith faith, faith. Of course there's works. Yeah. Of course there's works because you're not going to do anything you don't believe anyway. But I think we have to make sure that we're not too works driven, right? Right. That, that we negate faith, but we can't also be so faith driven that we negate works, that we right. marry the two together in balance. And really the only way to balance that is Holy Spirit's got to balance it for you. You know what I mean? And we're just obedient in that. But it's, it's important to just look at that part of it. It's just the faith aspect. The faith aspect, the belief, the trust in God. And I think that's one of the things he was trying to tell us and not trying to. I shouldn't say that. That's one of the things he was telling us the whole time. Trust me. Trust the story. I have this story. This story is wonderful. Yeah. And as this story plays out, 
you're going to see your place in this story and you'll yeah. see you'll see how you're going to help me develop the rest of the story so yeah wow and you know i really feel like in getting back to that faith versus works mm-hmm. i really feel like that's what paul's trying to do in chapter rome in rome all throughout romans but yeah. specifically in chapter one two and three what's he doing there he's talking about the gentiles have been sinners yep yeah well guess what the next chapter is about israel has been a bunch of sinners. That's right. And so we get to Romans chapter 3, and you know what he says? For all That's right. have sinned right. and fall short of the glory of God. Well, what does all mean? All means all. Right. And that's all that Jew all means. Jew and Gentile. That's right. right. All humans Everybody. have sinned mm-hmm. and are justified by that free gift of salvation who is Christ Jesus. Yes. That's that right. was the cornerstone of his gospel. Yeah. yeah is that it doesn't matter who you are or right. where you're from, right. we're all sinners, right. we all need the same Savior. There, there isn't two salvation plans. Right. There's one. <laughs> There's one. His name is Jesus. That's, That's right. right. Only way. Only way. It's the only, awesome. way. only way. I love this. I love this. John, you did an absolute fantastic job on this writing, um, and I know there's other people who need this. So is this already published? It is not published. It's, it's kind of... It's published in the school right. database, but I'm actually working uh, right now communicating with different professors and uh, key figures kind of in this multi-ethnic church movement, working, talking about getting this published and getting it out. Yeah. And so we, we're actively working on uh, reworking this biblical theological piece and, and expanding it yeah. into a book yeah. that can then be be purchased. Yeah. And so um, I've got it in the hands right now of two seminary presidents who are looking at it, uh, a couple seminary professors, some local church pastors, some nonprofit leaders, right? just to say, hey, is there a need to get this out? Yeah. Which I will answer that and say yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> There's absolute need in getting that out. It's in the hands of two guys named Bruce and Troy. Yeah. Sure. As, as well. And we can say emphatically, yes, there's a need. It does sure. need to get out. So let me ask you this real quick. Um, at the core of the writing, what is the, the message that you want to get across? I understand about the, you know, making sure that we are uh, looking more like the kingdom, uh, making sure that we do embrace the ethnicities. But I guess when I'm asking what the core of it is, what's the how? We got the why, we got the what, but what's the how? Yeah, and I think this is ultimately, when you really look at what the Apostle Paul wrote, this is what he's writing about. He's writing about the theology mm-hmm. behind Jews and Gentiles. Mm-hmm. That's what Ephesians is about, the first half. Yeah. Is that he has taken down the dividing wall. That's right. And brought together two different people into one person, yes. one humanity. Yeah. Well, that's the theology piece. And in most of the time when Paul writes, the first half of his letter or so is theology, and the second half is practical. Okay. Correct. A lot of times. So in Romans, that theology goes up to about, uh, goes through um, chapter 11. Mm-hmm. And then when you flip over into chapter 12, we're now more into the practical side. Okay. And so w- how does uh, chapter 12 begin? It says, therefore, I beseech ye by the mercies of God to present your bodies right. as a living sacrifice. Right. Holy and acceptable to him. And what does he do? He goes on and begins to talk about humility and not thinking of yourself higher 
than you ought to think. Right. And submitting to one another and loving one another and serving one another. Practical application. Practical application of yeah. what he's been teaching. And so I think from a practical standpoint, it has to start with an attitude of humility and love right. on all sides. Right. And I know that may sound really simple or really... Um, simple works, though, brother. But, but, but if, if it's difficult, man, yeah. I, I, I lose God in it. Yeah. If it's yeah. complicated. Yeah. So simple works. We've got to have attitude of, of humility and love. That means not having to have it my way all the time. Right. Um, that means being willing to um, not give up when there's misunderstanding. And I think that misunderstanding is what leads to a lot of our conflict. Mm-hmm. Even the way we use words. Yeah. Right. Sometimes the way uh, or often the way a white person will define racism and an African-American will define racism, they're using the same word with two different definitions. Right. Yeah. And so having the oh, patience to make sure we're clarifying misunderstandings and we're getting to a common ground and we're, we're using the same word with the same definition. And that right. takes humility. It takes love. It takes patience. It takes endurance. It takes empathy. Yeah. You know, there's a reason that Paul said, you know, we need to weep with those who weep. Yes. We need to rejoice with those who rejoice. That's right. We don't need to look at our brother and sister and say, get over that. Right. That's not in scripture. Right. That's right. That's not in scripture. And we've got to get back to, a relational oneness, a relational oneness. And one of the things I've, I've found that is huge is we mentioned tables mm-hmm. in, in, in the sense of a boardroom or leadership, yeah. right? Yeah. Okay. Well, let's get back. Let's get to the idea of tables as in fellowship. Yes. And diversifying the tables who we're having coffee with, who's yeah. in our home. Yeah. Who's at our table. Mm-hmm. Who are we going to eat with? Yeah. See, a diverse congregation really doesn't matter if our table's not diverse. That's right. That's good stuff, John. That's right. Because that's where the relationships happen. Well, well, you know, it's it's intimacy. Yeah, it's intimacy. Who you who you sit around the table with, and if most most people are probably like me, I, I don't eat with everybody, right? Because it's an intimate it's an intimate thing, and so it it talks. I mean, it points to intimacy, because like a family. You're sitting around the table, and then, you know, people let their hair down. I don't have any listeners, by the way. I'm bald, but <laughs> I, 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 I love the analogy. <laughs> you know, you come around the table, you let your hair down, and I think it's in that environment that people, you begin to really find out who you're sitting across from. Yeah. So it's, it's extremely important because people will, even if they're not trying to, will put guards up. And sometimes even put faces on in the boardroom. Business boardroom, church boardroom sure. doesn't matter, right? Yeah. This is business. We sit, we stand up, you know, we sit up a little straighter and we, you know, act like we're paying attention and all of those. But when you're sitting down, man, you know, and you're eating and someone says something really, really funny, you know, yeah. and you <laughs> almost spit your chicken out of your mouth. Yeah. And, and it, things that you would never see happen in the boardroom, now you're coming into an intimate, you know, relationship with those individuals around the table. So it is the perfect setting for that. It is. And, you know, that's one of the ways we realize our common humanity. We all have to eat. Yeah. We all sit down at the same table. We're all more the same size when we're sitting. Correct. The positions get lost. 
yes. when we're fellowshipping. Yes. And it's just about being people. Yes. And humans gathered together, fellowshipping, caring, learning. And, and I think that that's one of the key things we have to do is build relationships and and begin to diversify who who are we connecting with. Yeah. And as leaders, I think that gets back to intentionality. Um, one of the reasons why I think we don't have our staffs staffed with diverse people is because we don't have diverse disciples around us. Well, that's a good point. That's and a great point. discipleship is the key to leadership development. Absolutely. And so rather than just hiring a token diverse figure, we, we need to be looking at our congregation saying, who can we tap to come a little closer to walk with me in discipleship, right? which is also leadership development. Sure. Yeah. And then that becomes a natural process of building relationship, walking together, discipling. Then when the opportunities come, mm-hmm. because w- when opportunities come, we go with who we know. Yes. Yeah. And so we've got to broaden who we know. Yeah. And yeah. who we're discipling and who's discipling us. Correct. And who we're walking with. So that it's not always somebody that looks like us. That's so interesting, man. Because what, as you were talking, what I saw was I saw I saw a translator. Imagine coming into relationship with someone who doesn't look like you, and because you trust them and they trust you, now when you're attempting to interact with others who look like them, that person can be your translator. You, you know, you, you, you get the picture. I got you. That person can be your translator. So now it's the trust issue, the trust factor of you being able to say, did I understand what, did I understand what, what she just said? Absolutely. And having someone that you now are in an intimate relationship with, and now you can trust. So you see that building that you're talking about, right? Because now that individual can go back to that other person and say, right. hey, Da 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 da, and they go, "Oh wow, he gets me." The only reason the pastor gets him or her is because they've come into relationship with someone who looks like them, who's now able to act almost as an interpreter to make sure that the language is not lost in translation, as they say, to make sure that it's not. You know, it, be, it doesn't become convoluted and gets twisted. And now you walk away thinking you understood something that maybe you really didn't. And that's really what cultural intelligence is all about, is that in different cultures, uh, I mentioned definitions can yeah. be different. Well, yes. Facial expressions can be different. Absolutely. Yes. And the way you address authority can be different. Yes. Or time. And so we may be doing thing, something from our cultural framework and it's being interpreted in a totally different way. And so we need those translators yep. or, the, uh, or bridges, people yes. who are from those cultures who we're building relationships with that can help guide us to be a church that better ministers to all people. Now, yes. you can tell even from this conversation, there's going to be bumps on the road. Yes. Oh, sure. There's yes. going to be misunderstandings. Sure. There's going to have to be sure. apologies. Sure. That's where humility comes in. Yes. That's where keeping the commitment comes in. Yeah. Is that, look, God's called us to do this, and so I've got to learn to apologize and restate and reaffirm, and let's keep moving. Which is really just, it's re- to me, it's nothing more than exercising the fruit of the Spirit. 
Well, that's what I thought about when you started running those off. It takes patience and it takes it. Uh, I, I was hearing it's, fruit. It's, yeah, it's the fruit, man. That's all it is. That's all it is, man. So and fruit doesn't have a skin color. No, it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> There's no skin color, you know. But I think you're 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 right on point with all of this, John. I think I, I for one, am godly proud of you, you know, for completing the whole task of you know the doctoral program and writing this. I mean, it's just I've known you for several years, just watching the development and then come into this, and I know there's way greater things that you're going to do. But I am extremely proud of you. You know, for for knocking this out, and this is you hit a home run with this, and yeah. I can't wait for it to get out to the masses. Yeah, this is a really really good writing, uh, and a really necessary and timely writing because at this point right now, it's most people like to say we're so divided, we're so divided. Well, are we really? Sure. And if we are, what are we really divided over? Yes. And and some of the things they're they're a lot more simple. There, you know, some of the changes or some of the differences, I should say, some of the differences we have. They're a lot more simple yes. than we we think they are. And um, I think you laying out not just the background in this writing, but also a lot of practical ideas, defining different roles and, and, and showing, you know, where everybody plays their part. I think it's an awesome writing. And I, I really do appreciate, I appreciate you coming on the show to talk Absolutely. about it. This is going to help, you know, our, our folks here uh, that are listening here in the States. Our folks that are listening over in Europe, we have some folks listening in Europe, I think is really going to help. Sure. Um, so I, I, I thank you so much for doing this. Absolutely. Uh, thank you, brothers. I appreciate it. I, I just want to share this one thing that Jesus said in John chapter 17 in the, in the high priestly prayer. And John, uh, Jesus is in the upper room. He's about to leave. The disciples are scared. Uh, or if they're not yet, they're going to be. Yeah. And he's trying to teach them about the spirit and about what's going on. And, and he says in John 17, verse uh, 20, and he's praying. And he says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's, That's right. future believers. Future That's right. believers. That they may all be one. Man. That's right. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you that they also may be in us. Why? So that the world may believe that you have sent me. Wow. So there's an apologetic here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's a a witness here. When diverse individuals with diverse cultures and diverse baggage and diverse hurts and pains and distrust, when the Spirit heals that and we become one, yeah, man. The yeah. world will see. Yeah. And the world will know yeah. that God sent Jesus. Yeah. That's that right. this thing is real. Wow. That's right. And they want that. Yeah. That's awesome. I love it. I think that's a good way. That's a great that's way, a to, way that, to put that's this That's a great one to way bed, to end man. it, man. Good night. <laughs> Again, I'm Troy. I'm Bruce. And we have Dr. John Smith, and we do appreciate you coming on the show. Folks, make sure as soon as this thing is available, I will put something in the show notes where you can follow us on uh, all of our social media and our website. Uh, And when this thing becomes available, I will put a link out there and you need to get a hold of this writing. It is is phenomenal. We thank you so much for joining us and we hope to see you or hear from you next time under the fig tree.